Hello folks, this is Chopping It Up with CJ. I'm your host, Chris James, and this is Weekside Wednesdays. Now what are we doing Weekside Wednesdays? I cover some news stories that happened in the NFL in the prior week. I go over each game. I kind of give you an overview. I talk about the keys to victory I have for each game and whether or not the teams followed them. I also give you the final score prediction. And I look over the lines and the over-under for games and also test out my confidence scores and kind of just give you that overview. And with this being episode seven of Week Side Wednesdays, we're looking over the week six schedule and that's what we're going to go with. And folks, I want to start with a couple of stories. So, you know, every week I see these power rankings come out. Power rankings are basically just, I mean, the way that they make sense to me is that they're how powerful a team is. I don't know how else to describe it, but uh, I want to go over power rankings. That's going to be one story. I also want to do a story where I cover three quarterbacks that are age 28 or younger that honestly should never be doubted again moving forward. And then after that, I'll jump into the game. So without further ado, we're going to go with the power rankings because this is a pretty full show. And as a fan of doing power rankings, I like to wait on power rankings. What I mean by that is I need at least four to five weeks before there's a reason for me to even say this team is good or that. You know, it gives you a reasonable level of intel on the teams and it reduces variance, right? You know, it's easy to say, I mean, based on week one, the Saints are the best team in the NFL and no one should touch them. You know, they beat the heck out of the Packers. I think it was 38-3, best team in the NFL. It's really hard to say that, you know? So that's why I like to give it a few weeks. And I think after six weeks, pretty good time to do my first power rankings. I'm not going to do this every week, but I'm going to do it a couple of times through the season. And as far as what I'm I'm looking at for power rankings, for me, it's based on what team you'd have the most faith in to win a game if you had to risk your life savings on it. You know, that's, that's basically what it means to me. It's not who has the best record or anything like that, because that's what standings are for, in my opinion. And then I'll also do something a little different. Maybe some people do this. I'm doing it. I'm putting these teams in the buckets. Now, why am I providing buckets? It's kind of a true line in the sand. You know, and this week I'm doing five buckets. And the reason that I'm doing these five buckets is again, maybe the number 18 team and 19 team are on the same level, but 19's far superior to 20. That's why I'm doing this. It's not just a one through whatever ranking. It's these teams ranked 1 through 32, yes. But these groupings will let you know what I kind of think of these teams as I see them right now. So, that being the case, here's the first edition of CJ's Power Rankings. And we're going to start with team number 32. And these are teams that I believe are almost locks to pick in the top 10 based on what I've seen so far this season. And number 32 is the Detroit Lions. You know, it eventually gets to a point with a team, no matter how hard they're fighting and trying, they played really well in the season. But last week, the it kind of hit the fan. And while I expect this team to get some victories at 0-6 this season, you know, when the quarterback's not playing well, the coach who, honestly, he didn't really call him out. All he said is, look, you need to play better. And it's not like he lambasted the guy. But Detroit, the way they sit right now, looks like the worst team in the NFL, uh, the team that you probably want to play the most. Number 31 is going to be the Houston Texans with a 1-5 record. Very similarly, without Tyrod Taylor, they don't look like a competent team that can consistently win games. Even in a game where they pretty much dominated the first half against the Patriots, they ended up getting a loss. 
And until Tyrod Taylor comes back, who, when he was there, this team looked pretty doggone good, this is a definite top 10 picking team. Number 30 is the New York Giants at one and five. Giants have a lot of talent in different places and their quarterback Daniel Jones has played well to the point where I'm not fully advocating that they have to draft a quarterback in the top whatever. But what I'm saying is it's pointing towards that considering everything that's gone on because if they do end up picking in the top 10, especially early in the top 10, everyone's going to be gone from the GM to the head coach to the starting quarterback, most likely. Number 29 in the same state, yes, the beautiful state of New Jersey, the New York Jets at one and five. I just don't see many bright spots here. I know that we want Zach Wilson to be something that he has not been to this point, and maybe eventually he'll get there to being, you know, worth the number two pick. But right now that looks disjointed. You have a rookie head coach, you have injuries on both sides of the ball. So it's actually not a detriment for this team to be in the top 10, considering that they still need pieces and elite pieces, very talented pieces coming out. So that's the teams that I think are almost guaranteed to be picking in the top 10. The next ones, the next group, these are the teams that, in my opinion, are not making the postseason. And number 28 is the Miami Dolphins at one and five. You know, a lot has been said about Brian Flores, you know, this and that and the other. One thing is true. This team doesn't look good right now. But I'm a big proponent of not what have you done for me lately, what have you done for me, period. This is a head coach that brought them out of the muck of being fairly pathetic on the field to being nearly a playoff team last year. They're having some struggles, they're having some issues, and injuries have kind of riddled this team. They're still building. I think they overachieved last year. I think they're underachieving right now. And I think that this will regress to the mean and you'll see better, but right now, they're not in a good space. Number 27 is the Jacksonville Jaguars at one and five, the team that just beat them. This is a talented unit. They're just not a good unit yet. You know, they beat the Dolphins, but the Dolphins also don't look great. So it's like a, okay, and they beat them in the only place where they seem to be able to get victories in London. So while I think Jacksonville isn't guaranteed to pick in the top 10, I think there's less than a 1% chance that they make the playoffs. Number 26 is the Atlanta Falcons at two and three. Yes, they're off a of bye, and they did get a victory over in London the week prior, but I just don't like the way that this team looks right now, and they have a rookie head coach. I don't find strength anywhere on the team, even with high-end talent, because they have an aging quarterback. They look disjointed on offense at times. It's just not a unit that really scares me, considering how depleted it is in some areas. Number 25 is the Washington football team at 2-4. and four. This is not a team devoid of talent. This is a team with excellent talent, especially on D-line, but this is a team that's playing as if they aren't good <laughs> at these positions, combined with, they're playing with a first place schedule. You know, they're gonna end up getting beaten up and losing games, and the more games you lose, the more morale goes down, and it's easier to beat you. Although, oddly enough, I think that they're in a good position this upcoming week. And then the last one at 24 is one that I'm kind of sad to say. It's the Philadelphia Eagles at 2-4. and four. Again, very similar. I'm a fan of Jalen Hurts. I'm not going to hide that from the perspective that I think this young man is one of those leaders that get you places. But he's not playing excellent football. He's also not playing nearly as bad as some people want to say. What is bad right now is the communication all around. You're watching a rookie head coach try to manage and people are forgetting. 
Some guys are ready to hit the ground running. This guy clearly wasn't. I don't want to throw him out yet. But what I'll say is, this does not look like a team that can achieve the postseason based on what they've put on film so far. Now is the largest group in the playoff hopefuls. These are teams that I think have a legitimate shot at making the playoffs given what they have as rosters, coaching, or just circumstance. And number 23 right now is the Seattle Seahawks at two and four. You know, without Russell Wilson, that's a big ding to a team. I mean, definitely one of the top 10, if you remove this guy from the team, the team goes away very quickly. Guys, they have talent in places and Pete Carroll is far from just being a competent coach. He is a former Super Bowl winning head coach, but they're not in a great space, especially since they ended up getting uh, the division last year which gives them a pretty terrible position to be in. Number 22 is the team that they played in the 2014 uh, season's Super Bowl, and that's the New England Patriots at two and four. Again, similar. There's just something missing from this year's Patriots team. I still have faith that Bill Belichick is the best coach in the NFL, especially from a schematic standpoint on defense, but they have holes in different places. They have a rookie quarterback that's playing well-ish, but not excellent. So they don't really scare me as a unit. Number 21 is another rookie quarterback-led unit in the Chicago Bears at 3-3. Three three. This really should be a better team, but considering everything going on from the coaching onto the, the fact that they're not really managing things right now in a way that I really would be scared to play against, they really had a chance to win against the Packers and just looked like they were not ready to take that next step. So that's why I'm not fearful of playing them. Number 20 is a team that's fairly similar in some ways in the Denver Broncos at three and three. You know, they won three games to start the season. They've lost three games since, but they've, I think that they've been affected by the injury bug a little bit. They're still a scary team to play from some perspective and they could be a playoff hopeful. Remember, if you've been following the show, I had them as a dark horse AFC championship game uh, contender and I still stick to it. I'm not saying that you should put money on that, but what I'm saying is they have the talent and acumen to be able to get there, especially if they start playing uh, together more number 19 is going to be the Carolina Panthers who are also a three and three team very very similar here except I trust the quarterback in Denver more than the quarterback in Carolina you know Darnold needs to stop making mistakes I think some of these games have been the only game they really should have lost in this stretch was the game against Dallas where they just were not the better team they really could have outplayed and played above their head if Sam Darnold wasn't turning the ball over so much and some of these other contests and could be a 5-1 type unit, but they're not, and that's the major driver as to why I'm not too fearful of Carolina. Number 18 is the San Francisco 49ers, who are a 2-3 team. I trust the coach here. I trust some of the defensive players, some of the offensive players. The thing is, I don't trust the fact that this is always the most injured team in the NFL, it seems like. Since, since they took that picture in the end zone, during the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, they have the most injuries in the NFL, and it's insane. So week in and week out, I can't trust that they can get any cohesion to actually make runs. Number 17 is the Pittsburgh Steelers, a three and three team here. Very similarly, while I trust the coach, while I trust the defensive players in some places, some of the offensive players, I don't trust the quarterback. Not that he's not mentally competent, Physically, they don't scare me. They could have easily lost the game to Seattle this past week at home on a Sunday night without Russell Wilson. So this is a team that, to me, isn't getting the job done. Part of the reason they're still afloat is because there's that Mike Tomlin factor that they've always had. 
Number 16, a two and four Indianapolis Colts team. This is a team that is better than their record, but is also not good enough to really be a team that instills fear in you because they still have some issues with the quarterback. He's played well considering in the last couple of weeks, but will he revert? Also, that schedule is pretty daunting, and they play a San Francisco 49ers team that honestly I think can beat them this week. Number 15 is Minnesota Vikings, a 3-3 team. Minnesota is very much in a similar boat to Carolina, where they could be 5-1 right now as well, but they've cost themselves some games. They've also won some games that maybe they shouldn't have in, let's say, the Detroit game. So, it's a team that scares me. Kirk Cousins is playing really well. He's probably the quietest kept player who's playing well this season and I think the big driver in this is the following let's give Kirk Cousins his flowers he is an excellent regular season quarterback you get the point Kirk Cousins has looked only good in one playoff game that he's played in and that was against the New Orleans Saints otherwise he has looked pathetic so until he does that it's hard to really be fearful of this team even though this is a regular season currently ranking that's why they're competent. They're good enough to be fearful of. 15th best team in the NFL right now to me. But they're not someone where I say, you know what? I don't know if I really want any smoke with that particular team. The team that's right in front of them, much more talent-laden roster. But very similarly, I don't know if I can trust what's going on with the quarterback right now. The Cleveland Browns at 3-3. Three and three. Once he's healthy, here's what I actually hope Cleveland does and stops being that team. Again, don't let your hubris get to you. I don't know what it is. Don't care what it is. Honestly, I don't like the whole TMZ element of, you know, the, oh, and the relationships and this and that and the other. The proof's in the pudding. They got to get Odell Beckham Jr. off that team, not because he's done anything wrong, but this does not fit. And that's part of why Cleveland looks weird. It's like they're trying to fit a Madden roster together, and this is not a team that is joined at the hip. They have a divisional uh, rival that we're going to talk about a little bit later. That is, and that's why they're ranked higher. This next team is in their division, the number 13 team on my list. That's the Cincinnati Bengals, a 4-2 and two team. Love what that offense is doing. The coaching staff seems like they have learned some things, and they're looking better. The defense is playing well as well. The thing about Cincinnati is they're still young. They're kind of like the Rams were back in 2016 or so when they were trying to come into their own, right? And they finally, or 17, they're trying to come into their own. They finally start to hit the ground and get some things going. And it's odd because Zach Taylor's from that same team. So they are the number 13 team. The number 12 team is one that's near and dear to my heart. That's the New Orleans Saints, a three and two team. You know, the Saints, when they've had coaches on the field, are three and one. Offensive coaches, I should say. And that one loss, honestly, they dominated most of that game. They just... Kudos to the Giants. Did not continue and get the job done. This is a dangerous team with a dangerous defense. And as that offense looks to mature and they get back Michael Thomas, I don't think many people want to play that New Orleans Saints team, despite what some fans may think. And the number 11 and last playoff hopeful team here is the Las Vegas Raiders at 4-2. and two. You know, getting Gruden out of the building, I think, hurts some things. Some of the cohesion from the perspective of everyday operations but this could be something that helps them long-term because now there might be a level of trust that I'm not going to say wasn't there with Gruden because I have no knowledge of this. But 
if you know that you're free of someone who might not have liked you, then you might play harder for the guy that, you know, everyone talks about the coach who's the interim coach right now being a really good guy that they can trust. That can go a long way and kind of inspire players to play hard. So I wouldn't want to mess with the Raiders either, especially with the amount of talent that they've accrued. So now we're into the top 10. So these are my playoff locks and Super Bowl hopefuls. Again, these are teams that I think they're virtual locks to make the playoffs. And I think that they're capable to get to and win the Super Bowl. I just wouldn't put money on those particular teams. The first one, number 10, is the LA Chargers at 4-2. and two. We saw it happen. Look, the worst game that Justin Herbert's played since the last worst game he's played, which people forget. The Patriots confused Justin Herbert mightily last season. And he looked awful. In this game, he looked... I'm not going to go with awful. He didn't look good, though, at all. And that's one of the things. You got to remember, Staley's a rookie head coach. These are all young people trying to do things. They're young in their profession. So until they get more cohesiveness and also a little bit under their belt, I think they're a playoff team because they're super talented. But I can't put trust in them to get over the hump. My number 19 is the Tennessee Titans that actually won on Monday night. You know, the Titans are built off of Derrick Henry. Problem is, they look like they have the injury bug as well hitting their secondary. And also, what are they going to do? Where's their identity? We know what it's supposed to be. But when the postseason gets here, which I expect them to win their division and get to, are there teams that are just going to be better and know better about themselves? You know, trust in variable as a coach, but at the same point in time, there's a reason the Titans haven't been past the AFC Championship. Number eight is going to possibly be a surprise team to some, but hear me out. It's the Green Bay Packers at 5-1. and one. The Green Bay Packers have won games, and they've won good, close games against quality opponents. You know, they won against San Francisco 49ers. They just won a game against the Chicago Bears. You know, they're, they're getting these Ws. They won a game against the Lions. Then we realize they won a game against Chicago with a rookie quarterback. They won a game against San Francisco 49ers that might not be as good as we thought. They won a game against the Detroit Lions. You see where I'm going here? Basically, what I'm getting to is the following. They're good. But if Aaron Rodgers wasn't the quarterback of this team, I think they're not even a playoff team. Period. And that's the problem. Aaron Rodgers is covering up a lot of holes that exist on this team. And if you took him and Devontae Adams off the team, and I know that's unfair to say, but they don't sniff the playoffs without those two team, two players. So I think they're playoff locks. I think they're going to win their division. But I don't see them as a Super Bowl contender because I just don't think they can get over the hump. Then now we move on to the actual Super Bowl contenders, the top seven. And number seven might surprise some of you all, but again, hear me out. It's the Kansas City Chiefs, a 3-3 three three team. We can go ahead and say what we want to say about how that defense looks, but every year the defense looks meh. It's just usually the offense isn't making this many mistakes. And the mistakes that they've made have put them in holes where they've lost games that, honestly, Kansas City could have won every game this year, including that Buffalo game, if we want to be honest. But they keep turning the ball over. That's why they're 7 instead of higher. But I want you to ask yourself something. Do you really want to bet against Patrick Mahomes? That's all I'm going to say until a, a little bit later when I talk more about him. But I'm going to move on to the number six team here. And that is going to be the Los Angeles Rams. Again, the Rams are one of the best constructed teams in the NFL 
especially with top-end talent. But there's still something missing. There's that missing element. And I think people think Matt Stafford solved it. I think Matt Stafford gave them a little more juice. Because last year, people forget, they got washed by the Green Bay Packers. They beat a team that they're used to beating in the Seattle Seahawks. But to be honest, Matt Stafford just makes them not get washed by the Green Bay Packers, in my opinion. Or they might be able to beat them. But I don't know if they were going to beat some of these other teams, the Saints or the the page, uh, the Packer, uh, the Bucks. excuse me. I just don't see them being that team yet. And I don't know if Matt Stafford's the guy that can carry a, a, a team the way that some people are saying he is. Number five team is going to be the Baltimore Ravens, the 5-1 roster. You can say whatever you want to. You've put all these things as hurdles in front of Lamar Jackson. And he consistently outperforms everything you ask him to do because you all have short memories. You know, none of these guys have done what Lamar Jackson has done. Not named Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady. Not even Dan Marino, not John Elway. None of these guys that are Brett Favre, none of them. And this team runs through that young man and they believe. And that's a dangerous roster to have. One that's like that. Reason they're at five and not higher is just because attrition is set in and I still don't trust some of those offensive pieces. The running back core, do they stay healthy enough to, to, to do things to be helpful? Uh, there, there's a lot of age back there and hopefully they can stay healthy. Number four team is a team that lost on Monday night. That's the Buffalo Bills at four and two. Buffalo is a well-constructed team. That's probably the best top to bottom roster in the entire NFL. The problem is twofold. Every playoff game I've watched Josh Allen play in, he has done something just absurdly moronic late in the game. I'm hoping that this is the year that he doesn't. And if he doesn't, honestly, this is a Super Bowl caliber. This is the team that everyone thought Cleveland would be, except let's go ahead and be honest. Baker Mayfield ain't got nothing on Josh Allen. Let me go ahead and get that out of the way. That's not saying Baker Mayfield isn't a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL. I believe he is. Josh Allen, you know, he's playing his butt off right now. And if he keeps playing like this and doesn't make dumb choices in the playoffs, this is a real team. And a team that's at number three is a team that a lot of people are saying might repeat, and that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This 5-1 roster, this team, I think that they have a good chance to win the Super Bowl. Biggest reason why is because they have a dude who's been there and they've done it before. Tom Brady mentally is going to keep playing his tail off. And if that roster can support what he's doing, they have a good chance. Problem is, Tom Brady is not a quintessential game changer anymore. That doesn't mean he can't change games. It just means, okay, everything breaks down. He can't move anymore. He can't do that. That's just not what he does anymore. And that's not even a slight at him. He is playing above his head from the perspective of being 44 years old and freaking balling. So, Tampa Bay is my number three team. The number two team is a team that could have beat them early in the season. That's the Dallas Cowboys at 5-1. See, the biggest difference between Dallas and Tampa Bay, if we really want to be honest, is they do have a guy who can play off schedule. That's it. Both have excellent offensive lines, more than adequate passing uh, rushing game, running games, great receivers, excellent quarterbacks, defensive side of the ball. They can now generate pressure. They defend well enough on the back end. They have athletic linebackers. They're literally the same exact team, except one guy can't move. And if you get them off schedule, that's a problem. 
The other guy can and Dak Prescott. That's why Dallas is number two. But the number one team in the NFL right now, and until they lose a game, and, and not just that, but it's the way that they're winning games. That's the Arizona Cardinals. They have no weakness. Their biggest weakness is a level of hubris that comes with them. And I've discussed this before. They almost have a level of arrogance on offense where they can make a mistake and know that they can get it back and their defense flies around and plays well enough to put you in a stress position. I challenge you to find something this team doesn't do well. The biggest issue going into the season outside of consistency during the, the preseason was their cornerback position. But they're playing so well downhill. They're literally the new Kansas City Chiefs. And I'm not saying they replace the Chiefs, but they're built like that with more talent on defense. If they get ahead, you got Chandler Jones coming down the line when when healthy. You have J.J. Watt, who is not a great pass rusher anymore from the perspective of getting sacks, but pressures via denting the pocket and sometimes drawing double teams. You have two safeties that come up and hit. You have corners that play physical and can get underneath guys to try to pick the ball off because they know that they also have safeties that can play over the top of them. They have athleticism at the linebacker position. On offense, Brian James Conner, as a complimentary piece in the run game is excellent. This is a well-constructed team that's playing and winning in multiple ways, but also dump trucking pretty good teams. Like as bad as Cleveland currently is playing, they beat the brakes off them. They beat the brakes off the Rams. They've beaten the brakes off of virtually everyone. And that 49ers game looked like a game that they needed so that they can get back to the mental space of Dang, we can't just dominate everyone. Sometimes a team is going to play us close, and those are important too. So that's my power rankings with my tiers. So we're going to move on to the quarterbacks that I discussed. You know, I said there's three quarterbacks, 28 or younger, that should never be doubted moving forward. That's Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, and Dak Prescott. And I'm going to go over each in that order. It's alphabetical order by their last name. So Lamar Jackson, let's go ahead and get the facts out here and just be honest with ourselves. He's 35 and 8. That's an 8-14 winning percentage. That's stupid. 35 wins before the age of 25. Also stupid. And his QBR is 70.3. And he had a high of 83 during his MVP 2019 season. 70.3 is excellent football. He also has a touchdown to interception ratio of 3.35, and that's on 77 TD passes and 23 interceptions. And I've heard the argument that, okay, well, he went into a winning franchise and all this stuff. You you want to call a space babe? After winning the 2013 Super Bowl, and yes, that was for the 2012 season, between that Super Bowl win and Lamar Jackson being the starting quarterback of the Ravens, they had a 44 and 45 record. Same coaching staff. Nothing changed except Lamar Jackson. So you go from sub 500, let's just call it 500, to 814. We got to quit. This guy is the dude. And last point on him in 2019, 2020, and 2021. Entering week seven of the season. Yes, Lamar Jackson, the starting quarterback, is the team's leading passer. But he's also the team's leading rusher during that period each year. Which is why I find it funny that the linebacker from the Bengals in 
good luck to you, young man, this week. But said he's a good pass for a running back or whatever silly comment he made. It's kind of stupid, but all right. You're right. I mean, he's led his team in rushing for three straight years. And you might get gutted based on that. Next guy up is Patrick Mahomes. Let's go ahead and call the spade a spade and get it out of the way. You know, everyone's talking about how bad Patrick Mahomes is playing this year. But here's his 2021 stats. He has 18 TDs. That leads the NFL through six weeks of played football. And his QBR is 70.4. That's second to only Tom Brady, who has a 75 QBR. Now, maybe you didn't know this beforehand, but a 70 QBR is excellent. That's actually higher than Lamar Jackson's career average. And this is his down season. You know what his QBR was before the season as to why, like you all are just saying ridiculous? It was 80. As a starting quarterback, his QBR was 80. 80 for a career. Good goodness. So, okay, let's go ahead and turn this around and figure it out because for three seasons, this man averaged an 80 QBR. So he's having a down season at 70.4. But let's look at uh, some the QBRs of Hall of Famers, whether they're currently a Hall of Famer or they're going to be a Hall of Famer when they retire, like first ballot guy. And QBR is a stat that's only been tracked since 2006. So these guys I'm going to go over, I'm only using their stats from 2006 forward. And that's going to actually help some of these guys because the first guy is Peyton Manning. His career QBR... QBR is 77.8. You know, twice in his career, he was over 80 with one of the greatest seasons ever at 86.4 in 2006. Six other times he was over 70 in his career. Peyton Manning is the quintessential helping your offense just be better after the end of his career. Because prior to 2006, Peyton Manning was Jameis Winston. You might not like it. I don't care if you like it. Just go look up the stats and just stop being so dense, right? He got better and he was exceptional after that. Still not a higher career average than Patrick Mahomes. So let's move forward. Tom Brady, his total QBR from 2006 on. And by the way, I took Peyton Manning's last season out when he was garbage, just to make sure to not throw it and tank it more. I wanted it to be peak before his body gave up Peyton Manning. Tom Brady's body has not given up, but his career is 72 since the stat was being tracked. One time he was over 80, and that was the most amazing season that he's ever had. And also, one of the highest QBRs in a single season in 2007. He had an 87. It's amazing. But eight other times, he was over 70. I mean, that's that's great. Drew Brees. Prior to 2006, when he got to New Orleans, people forget Drew Brees not only was mediocre the first couple of seasons, he got benched year three, and then they drafted another quarterback in the top five. So he wasn't good, right? Even though he made one Pro Bowl. Um, Drew Brees had a 71 from 2006 on to the end of his career. Twice he was over 80, with his highest season being the 2011 season, which he arguably could have won the MVP with an 82.3. And then five times, he was five other times, I should say, he was over 70. And then the last guy, a guy that some people call the greatest quarterback they've ever seen, doing all these things, and I think he is an exceptional player, first ballot Hall of Famer, he should be in a special room like the other three of these guys, and that's Aaron Rodgers. His career number is 68.6. Okay? That's his career number. 
since and I left out the variance portion of when he was bad simply because he wasn't a real starter yet 68.6 lower than what Patrick Mahomes is doing this year but yeah, never mind Patrick Mahomes isn't playing well twice he was over 80 his best season was last year with an 84.4 in his MVP season and three other times he was over 70 so what I'm driving at here is basically Patrick Mahomes has been so good that you all think a 70.4 leading the NFL in touchdown passes and having the second best QBR to a guy who is absolutely balling in Brady is bad. And I've actually heard some people open their mouth to say that Patrick Mahomes isn't the best quarterback in the NFL. Gotcha. Okay. Here's what I'm going to ask you. You take any roster you want to construct out of the entire NFL and then you use Pro Bowl rules for the offense. So you can't use any of these special plays or anything like that. You can't set up a certain offense like you have with Baltimore. You have to use certain players in certain sets. You tell me a quarterback you want more with that circumstance than Patrick Mahomes. If the life of your most loved person on the planet, not including yourself, was on the line. If you can honestly tell me that there's another one, I'll believe you. But I can tell you right now, for me and the fate of my mom, Patrick Mahomes would be that quarterback. Next guy up is Dak Prescott. This one's a little simpler. I'm not going to go into too much detail. I just need you all to know. Not only did he deserve his money, in some respects he's being underpaid, but he got the market value that he needed to get. So his career QBR is 86, 68.3. He was over 70 three times the last three seasons. This year he's actually not. His numbers aren't great this season compared to what his career average is. But his record as a starter is 47 and 28. And that includes, and that's a 627 winning percentage. That includes last year when they had a bum defense. You can get mad at me if you played on that defense. Your talent might not have been bum level, but your production was bum level. He has 2.77 TD to interception ratio. That's 122 TDs with 44 interceptions and 66.7% completion percentage rate. This year, he's at 73.1% in 2021, like I said. And his career low was 62.9 in 2017. So this guy has earned his money. These three guys should never be talked about with any sort of, well, doubt, I should say, until they have multiple seasons, or at least give them a bad season. I want them to have an actual bad season where they produce bad numbers outside of the top. To me, bad is 16 down. But I don't think these dudes are going to be outside of the top 10 at any point, just based on how they've been, before you can talk bad about them. They have a bad game. Just remember, maybe your bias is creeping in since they just had four other good games in a row. So those are guys who shouldn't be talked about negatively. All right, so here's what you're here for usually on Week Side Wednesdays. Maybe you like what I just did, but I'm going to go over each game, just kind of quickly give an overview of what happened. And we're going to start in the order of how the games happened. So the Thursday night game between the Bucks and the Eagles. You know, could the Bucks? you know, will the injuries catch up to them? And in that game, you know, it kind of did. Even Richard Sherman got hurt, which is just, geez, that secondary is struggling. And for the Eagles, can they control the middle of the field? To some extent, late in the game, they did, including the run game. So I had a close one here. I had the Bucks winning 33-30. to 30. 
And the final score is more indicative of a closer game, especially in the second half when they started to actually play decent football with the offensive game plan. But the Bucks with a 28-22 victory in this one. Again, the Bucks dominated the first half. The Eagles played even with the Bucks in the second half to me. The line was the Bucks by seven. I had a confidence level of four that the Eagles would cover. The Eagles did cover. I wasn't too confident because you never know what's going to happen in some of these games. But I did have the Eagles covering based on my, my score here. And the Bucks are a team that likes to run it up sometimes just because they are trying to prove points right now and they're comfortable enough with themselves to do so. The over-under was 52.5. I had a comps level of seven on this, but the under hit by two and a half points. Again, it was a interesting situation where late in the game, uh, the Bucks got in position where if they didn't get a first down, they probably would have had to kick a field goal. And guess what? The over would have hit. So sometimes that happens. And just a little recap on the fantasy football. I think I did a decent job in suggestion, suggestions this week. My stardoms for the Bucks were Leonard Fournette, who I think had the most points in the game, and Antonio Brown, who led all of the receivers uh, in this game, I believe. My sit-ums were Tom Brady and Mike Evans. Mike Evans didn't do much of anything, and Tom Brady had a decent game, but it was a measured game compared to what he usually pr- produces. And again, stardom and sit just means Stardom, I expect them to exceed their projections. Sit them, I expect them to come under, which all four of those guys came over or under their projections. And then on the other side, stardom, Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz scored a touchdown. Didn't have a big game, but he wasn't expected to do too much. So that touchdown by itself put you over his projection. And my sit was Miles Sanders because I didn't know how they were going to utilize him. And in the first half, genius call because they didn't utilize him at all. Second half, he looked a little bit better, got near the number. I think if he passed it, it wasn't by much, but they need to find a way to get the young man some carries and get the ball in his hands. All right, so we're going to move on to the game over in London that was played on Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's Jacksonville playing against the Miami Dolphins, two Florida teams traveling, trying to get for Jacksonville their first victory in Miami, trying to get second uh, the Dolphins, well, they played to the strength of the quarterback that starts. And to some extent, they did play to, to a strength. They actually, he looked good, and it looks like he's starting to gain more confidence. It's odd that that rib injury might have actually helped him mentally get over that hip. And for you all who think that's just an excuse, again, it was a major injury, period. So whether or not you think you'll be affected, we've seen a lot of people who are super tough guys that play a sport like this get affected for a year or two coming off an injury that's a severe one and for the Jags will the travel affect them one thing that I did not take into account here is that the Jags always play well over there I think they beat the Ravens one time over there so my prediction did not take that into account then that's my fault I had the Dolphins winning 28 to 20 well the final score was Jags 23 20 and kudos to them for being sneaky on that that uh play to get closer for the field goal beautiful beautiful uh situation there i love what they did and they took advantage of a team kind of conceding to something um the line on this was the dolphins by three i had the dolphins covering with a with a pretty good confidence level of seven the jacks covered the over under was 47 i had the over with a confidence level of three the under came in by four so again this was a game that I was recommending, yes, I thought the Dolphins would cover fairly easily, but I said that over under I wouldn't be touching because you don't know what type of game will break out in this one, considering how many turnovers usually happen with these two offenses. The Bears and Packers uh, in Chicago this past weekend. 
you know, continuing to expand Phil's game and defense. And they didn't expand Phil's game too much. Um, they need to start letting them throw the ball down the field more often. It's almost like they're scared of their quarterback. If he's bad, I don't think y'all will win the Super Bowl anyway. And if he's better than you think, you might actually be a good playoff team. For the Packers, don't fall for the trap game. And they didn't. They actually played pretty close early on and then pulled away. I had the Packers winning this one 21 to 17. They actually pulled it out 24 to 14 with Aaron Rodgers scoring a late touchdown and put the game away. And also, he told them he owned them and with a 22 and 5 record against them during his career. Uh, he's not wrong. Now, technically, I had the Packers not covering. I had the Bears covering that five point spread with confidence level of six. The Packers covered here in this particular situation. And then the over-under was 44. I had the under with a conference level of five. It was the under by six points. So the under did cover there, so you probably split your money there, uh, considering if you did bet on this game. The next game is two kind of historically bad franchises, but one is looking good right now, and the other one is trying to build a culture, and that's the Cincinnati Bengals playing in Detroit. Um, I wasn't being facetious, but can Joe Burrow speak? He did have an injury. Apparently, he was fine. That was the X factor or key to victory for the Bengals. And for the Lions, what's next was my question. And what was next was a bludgeoning in this game. And Jared Goff just throwing the ball away on a fourth down. Jeez. But I had the Bengals winning this one and covering the spread 26 to 20. I thought the Lions would be competitive in this, and they were not. The Bengals dominated 34 to 11. Bengals were only three and a half point favorite. I put a confidence level of eight on this, and the Bengals covered it pretty doggone easy. Uh, the over-under was 47. I had the under with only a confidence level of three, and it was the under by two points. Again, I didn't know what team was going to show up where. That's why I didn't have much confidence. I would have told you to bet pretty significantly on the Bengals to cover, um, but that over-under, I got lucky on it by two points. The Houston Texans, in another division situation, play against the Indianapolis Colts. For the Colts, play fast, put pressure on the opposition, and they did that. They came out running. They came out throwing, and they came out and put pressure on them. For the Texans, I was said to continue the screen game, and it just didn't work for them in this particular matchup. It didn't look like an offense that was ready to do much. Um, it worked against the Patriots. I think they just took advantage of some of the Patriots' situational confusing coverages that it's kind of hard to confuse someone when you're running when they're running screens so they confuse them my prediction was the Texans being a competent team and scoring 16 while the Colts scored 31 that 15 point margin was not even close the final score was the Colts 31 to 3 and the worst beating of the weekend uh the Colts were 10 point favorites here and this was one of my locks of the week I had the Colts covering that 10 point spread again even though 10 is a lot I just don't think the Texans are good without Tyrod Taylor. There's not a lot of confidence. They don't have enough talent to withstand a young quarterback who's not that good yet. Um, so I got this lock of the week right. And then the over-under was 43.5. I had the over um, with a confidence level of 6. The under was 9.5 because, again, I expected the Texans to be more competent than they were. And then there's another blowout game that's in front of us with the Los Angeles Rams traveling to have played the New York Jets. And with the Giants, I mean, New York Giants. I'm super sorry on that. Same stadium. Uh, same team in some respects. But the New York Giants. Um, for the Giants, it was no injuries. And 
That didn't happen. Kadarius Tony went down on the first drive. And for the Rams, take it slow and run it more. You know, they didn't really take it slow. They didn't really need to. And I had the Rams winning pretty easily here, 32 to 17. They won even easier than that, 38 to 11, and it was horrible. Uh, the spread on this was nine and a half. I had a confidence level of eight for the Rams to cover. So they covered very easy. Part of this was if there was no injuries, I thought the Giants could be competent. Daniel Jones has played pretty well. He wasn't the issue in this game. A lot of other stuff's going on there. Over-under is 48 and a half. I had the over, only a compass level of five, uh, four, I should say, which I said pretty much that's me saying, nah, I wouldn't bet on this one. And it was pretty safe to say stay away because the over covered by 0.5. So, again, <laughs> helped y'all hopefully there on both accords. The next game up is the Kansas City Chiefs, and they were playing the Washington football team in D.C. Well, technically, I believe it's in Virginia, but you know what? I could be wrong on that. Um, for the Chiefs, take it easy. Take early gains. Uh, take easy gains early. Big ones late. And they made the same mistakes. Balls bouncing off hands, keeping the team, the football team in the game early. For the football team, take shots early. Run it late. And they didn't take too many shots early. Heineke didn't get the job done. They got to find something better quarterback. Hey, by the way, I have a suggestion. There is a team that does not want their backup quarterback to be their backup quarterback, at least in my opinion, because I think he's better at this stage than the starting quarterback. So you'd be helping them out. They might even give you a discount and say, hey, if you trade for him, you trade us a seventh round pick, we'll send you him in a sixth. And that's PJ Walker, the backup quarterback for the Panthers. Bring him in the building. He's an upgrade to the, the current quarterback, in my opinion. And at least he'd be competition for him. And he's a younger guy, so hey, maybe you end up getting a guy that is a franchise quarterback that you didn't expect. So in this game, the final score prediction, I have the Chiefs 40, football team 28. Well, the Chiefs tried to get 40 in the second half, they ended up with 31, and the football team, again, did not look competent on offense. They have too many, too many positive weapons, too many weapons like Terry McLaurin to be this bad. You have to fix the quarterback situation, period. Now, the Chiefs were six and a half point favorites. This was another lock for me. I had a confidence level of 10 on it, and the Chiefs covered pretty easily, going up 21 uh, on a 21 nothing second half run. The over under is 54.5. I actually thought that both teams could put up points because the Chiefs' defense has been so bad. Had a confidence level of eight. Sorry on that. The under covered by 10 and a half, folks. I did not think Washington would be nearly this bad. Good goodness. And then the Minnesota Vikings and the Carolina Panthers are the next game that's on the slate. For the Panthers, does CMC fix the offense? Well, he couldn't because at the time that I was putting this together last week, CMC was not ruled out. He ended up getting ruled out a little bit later in the day. Or it might have actually been, nope, it was Friday. He got ruled out, and this was done on Thursday. The Vikings, pressure, pressure, pressure. It went both ways. Be that as it may, I had a prediction of the Panthers actually winning this one, 24 to 23. I thought that with CMC on the field, they would get back to good and be able to do it. Again, he wasn't in the game, but the important thing here was I had the Panthers winning by one. The Vikings being a two-point favorite here. I had the Panthers, but again, I only had a conference level of three. Let's kind of stay away from this one. This seems kind of like a sneaky, odd, disgusting spread. The Vikings covered what looked like pretty easily. They... They were the better team in this game uh, throughout most of the game. Sam Darnold did not look good. Um, 
and the score is not indicative of how much the Vikings were actually better than them on this day. The over-under was 46. I had the over, but only with a conference level of three, because again, I didn't know what type of brain game would break out. Well, what broke out was tail whipping early on. The over covered by 16. Next game on the slate is the Los Angeles Chargers and the Baltimore Ravens. It was supposed to be a great game. My game of the week, the one I really wanted to watch. And I watched something that was off. The Chargers get the ball out quick. Justin Herbert looked lost. Do I think he's bad? Absolutely not. The, the, the sample size says that he's really good and should be really good going forward. But he's had some stinker games where it looks like he's just getting fused and it's almost... Uh, paralysis by analysis against the Patriots last year. It was like they confused one of the back end and the Ravens doggone sure this, this game. Uh, for the Ravens, well, they maintain the same energy from Monday night and they escalated the energy. It's almost like that second, once they kicked in the gear and came back against the Colts, I don't know if it opened up a can of something, but they looked stellar. They looked like the old Ravens. This, little, this looks like the 2019 Ravens with less talent on the field compared to what they had uh, at the time. So this is amazing that they're doing the things they're doing. I thought this would be a high scoring close game. Ravens 35, Chargers 34. Ravens bludgeoned them at 34 to 6 and it wasn't as close as that score. Ravens were 3 point favorites so I technically had the Chargers covering in a close one. Ravens clearly covered. I only had a confidence level of 5 on that. I had the over of 52 uh, with a confidence level of 8. The under was by 12. This was just an awful game. Chargers were not ready for prime time. So we're coming up on the 4 p.m. slate games. I'm going to try to run through these because I don't have too much time left. We're uh, pretty far into the show. So the first one is another big game that ended up being a bludgeoning. That's the Arizona Cardinals playing at the Cleveland Browns. Talked about this earlier. Man, oh, man. You know, the Browns had to stop Baker from trying to be Kyler. And he got hurt on a play where I'm not saying he was trying to be Kyler at all. But if you know you're hurt, you don't try to run like that. You throw the ball away, live another day. Sorry. Baker Mayfield gets further hurt. Again, I think Baker Mayfield, much like even a Daniel Jones, is a good test case for a new scenario where you need to stop resetting the market with quarterbacks. And if they want to reset the market, you tell them, hey, $25 million is what I'm going to give you. Daniel Jones' case, I'm going to give you $18 million, maybe 20 right? If he continues to play better when the pieces get back, you might escalate that some. Think Baker to some extent, especially if you trade Odell Beckham Jr., is worth $25 million or so based on what the other quarterbacks are getting, the $35, $40 million. I think he's about 70% as good as them, 80, 70, 65 70% as good as them. Baker's got heart, but he's not playing great football right now. And he tried to be Kyler, and he's not Kyler. On the Cardinals side, pressure without Chandler Jones, they were able to do it. Kudos to them. They were able to manufacture pressure in a good way, and they got things going. I had the Cardinals winning this one 27-24, and they, again, bludgeoned them 37-14. to And if it wasn't for a late touchdown by the Browns, they only put up seven. Uh, the line was the Browns by three which I did not think was a good line. I thought the Cardinals were the better team. So I had a compass level of seven on that with the Cardinals covering, and they covered. The over-under was 49.5. I had the over with only a compass level of five. That's basically you make the choice. The over covered, but only by a point and a half. Next game up is a divisional matchup, the Raiders at the Broncos. X-Factors, let Teddy cook. 
They, in fact, did not let Teddy cook. For the Raiders, can they keep their composure? They kept their composure. Good for them. Kudos. I had the Broncos winning this one 24-20. Mainly, I didn't know what Raiders team was going to come out. I should have known that they got a weight lifted off of them because they came out and played like it. They went 34-24. Broncos were 3.5 point favorites, so I technically had them covering. Uh, with a confidence level of 6, the Raiders came out and did their thing. The over-under was 44, so my prediction was right on it. I said stay away. The over by 14 covered, so... You know, I left you on your own on that one. It just didn't feel right. Whenever it's, whenever I predict the score without even looking at the over/under, it's too good of an over/under for me to suggest anything on. And the last 4 p.m. slated game is the Dallas Cowboys at the New England Patriots. This was a good one. The Cowboys, hey, don't be impatient. Take what the Pats give you, and for the most part, they did. Especially late in the game, they started to actually make things happen. For the Pats. Improved communication on the back end, which they didn't really have late in the game. I had the Cowboys winning this one, and like I said, a pretty close and good matchup, 27-21. And the Cowboys did win by that six-point margin, 35-29 in overtime. So the Cowboys were three-and-a-half-point favorites here. I had the Cowboys with a confidence level of eight, and they did cover that, again, winning by six. The over-under was 50.5. I had the under with only a confidence level of five. I figured that this was one that I wanted to stay away from because I didn't know if this was going to be a more of a suppressed game. Or if this would be a breakout shootout, I went with the suppressed side to some extent and said, hey, you make the decision. The over hit by 14 and a half. So they came out firing. And then the last two games on the slate, the first primetime game was the Seattle Seahawks and the Pittsburgh Steelers. For Seattle, pushed the ball down the field with Geno. They did not do that. They ran the ball pretty effectively, though. Um, and with the Steelers, continue to run the ball. They did a decent job with that. Uh, my prediction was actually Seattle pulling off the upset 27-25. Final score was 23-20, the Steelers winning that one, and the Seahawks could have easily won this one. It was a toss-up game, and it came out that way. So the Steelers were five-point favorites. I had Seattle with a pretty confident level of a confidence score of seven. They did cover that five-point spread. I just didn't see how it was going to be larger than a three-point, that, that field goal type situation. just felt like one of those games. And then the over-under was 42.5. I had the over with a confidence level of seven. And I did get your money, but this is not one that worked out the way I thought. The over by 0.5 points. Good goodness. And then the Monday night game, one that I will close the show on. The Buffalo Bills and the Tennessee Titans. For the Bills, they play the two, uh, the same too high safety look. Do not let things get over the top of you. Make them run the ball with Derrick Henry early, and then maybe you can come down late. For the Titans, return to form with your play-action game. You know, both of those things kind of played themselves out. Uh, Derrick Henry just went Derrick Henry and kind of forced them to try to bring guys down more. And they didn't want that smoke, and I don't really blame them. That dude is a good goodness. And then for the Titans, they did try the play-action game. And listen, I want to get this over with because, again, we're at the 55-minute mark. I only have a few minutes left in the show. The fourth and two. And the fourth down play, I should say with a little bit of time left. Let's go ahead and get this out of the way. I like what they did. If you would have kicked the field goal as a coach, you're right. But you can't tell the person who goes for it that they're wrong. See, both were actually the right decision depending on how you operate, in my opinion. 
for the coach that's more traditional and more conservative in some nature, you kick that field goal. Much higher percentage that you'll make it. If you get the coin toss, you trust in your offense that you'll probably get it done. Your defense is pretty good. And even though Derrick Henry started running wild, even if you lose the coin toss, you can probably keep them out of the end zone. Okay, I understand that position. But here's the thing. Sean McDermott and that offense and that team operates like I do. I would rather put my fate in my own hands than in the hands of someone else or some level of luck, right? There's too many things that come into play negatively if you don't put it in your own hands. Technically, it's not 100% sure that he's going to make that kick. That's one. Number two, if you do lose the coin toss, the game could be over pretty quickly as you come up to try to stop Derrick Henry and they play action over the top. There was a play earlier in the game when Julio Jones broke open with a cross that Ryan Tannehill threw late and it ended up in a turnover. And if he puts that out there earlier, especially in a situation where Henry was eating, that's a touchdown, game over. I like when people try to take things into their own hands and also establish that culture. And I think the math was done with the following. Regular season game, on the road, with that offensive unit, that quarterback, with a two game lead that you could stretch out to three games, and be in control of the AFC, if you do get that first down and then the eventual touchdown, I think what Sean McDermott was doing was saying, hey, I trust in you, continue to trust in me, and I support what he did. So, like I said, you're not wrong if you were to kick the field goal, just know that you're not, you also aren't necessarily right. Everyone has their path for the Bills, they went for the jugular, I commend them because that's how I operate too. So just to get the, the spread stuff out of the way, uh, Bills, I had a close one, 33-31 was my prediction, with the Titans actually covering 34-31. The Bills were five and a half point favorites. I had the Titans covering with a confidence level of six. The over-under was 54. I had the over with a confidence level of six. The over hit by 11. So all right, folks, we're coming up on the end of the show. Don't really have any closing thoughts right now, except for what I just said. Be you. If you're a person who wants to put things in your own perspective, in your own hands, your fate, do that. And don't let people tell you that you're wrong simply because it's right for them to do the opposite. You can follow me on Twitter. That's the best place to get football information. Uh, it's at CJFlorida9. That's at CJ, the entire state of Florida spelled out, the number nine. So this has been Weekside Wednesdays. We'll be back with Turf Talk Thursdays where I'll cover all the games. And... Oh, what's going to be a rough slate with all these teams on a bye. So until next show, folks, take care and have a good day.